Hi, this is Abhi and Madhu from Inspiring Idea Podcast. Completed a power-packed episode with Dheeran Velu, ICT Professional of the Year 2019, TEDx speaker and an AI enthusiast. Dheeran, what are the key takeaways for our audience from this episode? Hey, um, you know, throw yourself into the unknown, stay on top of new technology, be brave to innovate, get involved with the community and, and stay in the loop with the community. And if you're out there building a startup, be a camel, build a product to be a camel and not a unicorn. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, I'm Abhinav. I'm Madhu. Welcome to the Inspiring Idea Podcast. We interview people from across the world and share their life stories and success formulas with our audience. We hope this will inspire you to achieve your dreams. So, let's get the show started. Welcome to the show, Dheeran. How are you today? Good, good, good. Thank you, Madhu. Thanks for the opportunity to be on the show. Absolute pleasure, mate. Absolute pleasure. So, Dheeran, in the next 30 minutes, um, we wanted to really explore your life journey and deep dive into some of the key moments which contributed to who you are today. Yeah, I wanted to really start with a quote. William Arthur Ward said, opportunities are like sunrises. If you wait too long, you miss them. I would like to take you two decades ago when you plunged into the digital world. It's only apt to say that you have seized the opportunity of dot-com boom. Uh, do you want to share that story with us? Yeah, dot-com boom. That's a long time ago. Um, see, when the dot-com thing was happening, you know, we were still in university, obviously. Um, it was a bit of a side geek thing. And, and, and back in the day, only a few people knew what was happening really in the computer world, right? So I was lucky enough to be in the computer science um, stream of, of education. And you get to hear about all the success that's happening in the dot-com. So a bunch of us, um, three of us, you know, got together. We, we set up a company part-time, you know, studying, studying full, the main day thing was studying, but on, at, at, on the side, we set up a company and we, we went about a series of, of ventures in that dot-com space. You know, we built um, an online Derby platform. I don't know if you guys know what Derby is, you know, the race, the host races yeah. and the Derby. Um, so we, uh, we explored how that can be um, completely experienced online um, at, at that time. So, a lot of a lot of visual elements were were thought through, and we went about that. And then we did an online um, events management platform, and, and and several other things. Right, it was a massive experiment, and we we did a lot of things. Not necessarily all of them were business viable. Right, we were we were a young mm-hmm. bunch, uh, not having deep deep understanding of of the commercial realities. Um, But nevertheless, we had the passion, we knew the technology well, we knew the buzz that was happening, we were reading and, you know, doing things at night and going back to university in the morning. So all that good stuff happened. Fantastic learning, Um, not a lot of commercial success, but, you know, we we were on the bandwagon and, you know, hasn't stopped, I guess, since then. (laughs) It looks like you lived life. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> well, yes, we sort of, you know, uh, piggyback on the on the trends and and learned along the way. And you know, uh, if you're if you're a passionate bunch, nothing stops you. <laughs> Absolutely, fantastic, uh, Dheeran, I was looking at your profile and I found that you've traveled and worked in many different countries: India, UK, Australia, Japan, New Zealand, and whatnot. Is this a choice that you made, or it was a flow in your life? 
I was a deliberate, deliberate choice. <laughs> my first travel wasn't. Um, it was just by chance um, that I was uh, hired and I never, so I grew up in India, in Bangalore. I studied there, but I never really got to work uh, there much. Uh, you know, very, very quickly I was traveling and I was working. The, my kind of work involved, required me to be at client sites, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I, when I went to the UK and I worked in Europe for a long time, I quickly started to enjoy this whole, this other passion of mine. I think it's, I think it's a, it's a common thing for a lot of people to travel and explore, right? We're all, we're all humans. We love that exploration aspect. We want to learn about people. We want to learn about culture, you know, new land, new, new things. True. And I, I always wanted to do that. And I thought I'll reserve that at some part in my life, you know, when you could afford travel, you know, you're, you're, you're a young, you're a young um, IT consultant and, you know, you have to firstly, establish your career and then there will be a time when you can do all this travel thing I thought but it just happened to me that I was actually doing it um, but I was not seeing it that way and then I then I quickly realized this is it you know I could do what I love doing I mean I, I love my job I still love the kind of work that I'm into and I, what I do but I also love this travel aspect so I would really at that point um, I used to call my my manager literally my travel desk and I used to call him and I used to tell him hey travel desk uh, is there anything happening in Paris? And he, I would, you know, he, he was a very cool, cool manager, and you know, we have a lot of good memories. Um, so I call him as the travel desk, and I'll tell him anything happening in Paris, and he'd go, "Oh, three weeks in Paris. What do you think?" And I go, "I'm on it." And I wouldn't ask him what the job is. <laughs> I tell him, "Yes, I'm going." And then he would, he would tell me what the job is. It requires you to prepare. You know, it's, it's an area you don't understand really well. You don't have a lot of experience, but you know. I know you do it. So I would go nights and nights, study the subject, get ready for that particular gig. And I would travel and same thing. I would finish the palace gig and I'd call him and say, you know, anything happening in Portugal? Because I know um, 2006, the football final was happening there. So I would go, hey, anything happening in Portugal? Like for a couple of weeks or a month or two months, three months. And he would make it happen. Awesome. This is a true story. I actually used that whole... Uh, you know, the, the, the opportunity in, in our world, in our IT world, at least at that time, to travel and work, and I piggybacked on it. <laughs> so, so that took me places, you know, I've, I've gone through, you know, different, different places. I've lived and worked in many countries. Um, I've met a lot of different people. I've understood different cultures, different perspectives. And um, I, think, I think that's the biggest, biggest learnings that ever happened in my career is is, is understanding people and the different kinds of people, the different environments I've been working on. Everything else is, you know, comes along the way. True. All right. So you, you worked in different countries. Do you have any exciting stories that you would like to share today with us? Yeah, lots, lots, <laughs> lots. Um, I was actually talking about this story recently to somebody. Um, you know, I was in, um, I was in Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I used to work there for a bit. Um, and, and we were in this, uh, in this, you know, 42nd floor or something, this tall building. Um, and, and I didn't know a lot of the language. I just knew very, very basic, maybe a couple of words just to survive, you know, just to go and get myself food, get myself a, a, a train ticket or something, just very basic. And, and I would, we would have interpreters with us, you know, when we go to meetings, the interpreter would, would, would go with us everywhere. And I had a team that I was leading. I was tech leading a team that spoke zero English. And I, there were the eight people in the team and I 
I spoke almost zero Japanese. <laughs> Yet I was I was the technical lead, and we would have heated heated arguments over technical design, whiteboarding, <laughs> me in English and them in Japanese, and it just worked. It just worked, right? It's just the you know. Um, anyway, so I had this I had this team, and I had this interpreter who would help me understand. One guy in the team would know a little bit of English, so I would use him as my pivot to 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 communicate, right? And there was this incident one day, um, you know, there was, uh, there was an earthquake, right? I didn't even realize there was an earthquake. Well, there was an earthquake about to happen. It had happened right. there, and it was about to happen in the area that we were in. We were in Tokyo at that time. And, and this, this, this guy next to me, his cell phone started ringing very weirdly, and he became really pale, right? I'm like, that's a bad ringtone, firstly. It's annoying ringtone. And then, he, and then the other phone started ringing with the same ringtone and so on and so forth. So you had all these phones ringing in the same annoying ringtone. And I knew something, something was, something disastrous was about to happen. It looks like uh, a panic, a panic alert, right? Mm -hmm. Some alert. And, and then you had these announcements in Japanese, in, in the PA systems. In the, I didn't know what was happening and I didn't know what to do. I was the only guy, the only non-Japanese in my school. I was the only guy. Mm -hmm. Um, who was waiting for the English announcement to happen. And that happens after the Japanese announcement, of course. The, the earthquake would have, would have happened and the English would have never had a chance, by the way. <laughs> it, it didn't. Uh, at least I'm here to tell you the story. So this Japanese announcement happened and everybody's doing something, right? Someone is going under the desk and someone's doing something and someone's doing a drill. And I don't know what the hell was happening. And I couldn't even find this guy this one English guy that I knew, he's probably under some desk. <laughs> I didn't know where he was. And, and all I was thinking was, oh, I wish I, wish I paid more attention in, in a, at the Japanese school. I used to go to the Japanese school in the evening and didn't pick up anything. <laughs> I'm like, I'm about to die, I think. And I don't know why I'll be dying. <laughs> anyway, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very, uh, you know, sort of a memorable experience. The culture, we don't understand the language and we're there and we're working. But there's lots and lots of good stuff as a, I don't know, that's something I remember because I was talking about this recently, um, in fact, in another, in another discussion. <laughs> that's beautiful, man. That's beautiful. I think the experiences that you were sharing, be it Portugal or Paris or Japan and whatnot, I think that gives you that holistic picture of the culture, the people, etc., and make you better prepared for uh, some of the life challenges that, that are going to, you know, uh, throw you just like the current situation with COVID and all that. Yeah. Um, is that helped you to jump onto the bandwagon of AI? You know, we talk about uh, AI and AI being the buzzword in the last three to four years, almost everyone uses that word. Uh, however, uh, prior to that, that was not the case. And how was your entry? Was, is, was it any dramatic in terms of uh, getting into AI? And how did you make a career? Yeah, uh, yeah it's an interesting journey. Um, look, I, I, I studied AI, right? So I did academic studies in, in AI. Uh, and many, many of its sub-subjects, sub uh, you know, neural networks and, and a little bit of data science and all of that. We never really got to use it. The, tech, the, the, the fundamental concepts haven't even changed today. It always existed, even 20 years ago. But we never got to use it. You know, we all went into what's called an AI winter, right? Uh, the, there was not enough resources to actually experiment with this technology. It was an expensive technology, expensive mm -hmm. in the form of 
of computing it required, data it required, and all of that. So it, all the experiments happened in some, some rich, expensive labs, which we never had access to. So basically, I, I all, all I had was this textbook knowledge of, of the subject, but never got to use it. Um, and of course, um, you know, you do, as a consultant, you, you do what's, what comes to you, right? So I picked up a whole raft of other uh, IT um, um, subjects, you know, mm -hmm. I started as a what was called a service-oriented architecture in those days. I was a SOA consultant. I did integration consulting for a long, long time. I specialized in SAP and mainframe integration and all of that, you know, understanding SAP systems when it was new and understanding mainframe systems, the, the legacy ones and all of that. Until the point where uh, IBM, the company that I used to work with, was forming together, was putting together a team to, to um, commercially implement AI. And... And that caught my attention. So I actually put my hand up and I said, hey, I, I think I know this subject, right? I've studied this. I know textbook versions of it. And I would love to get a hands-on and more practical with this. And I've, keep, I've been keeping a tab on this, on this topic as well. And I knew it was becoming mature. It was becoming mainstream. So when they did the first team, I put my hand up. I jumped onto it. Uh, it required me to study again, of course, things that that slightly shifted and, and, and the thinking was different. So I went and I went ground up again, you know, went back to the textbook, took a couple of courses online. Um, IBM put us through a series of education. And then we, uh, we started uh, rolling out a commercial um, implementation of, of AI. Um, you know, it was mostly in, in, in processing. It was a large monolithic of an AI system, like a multi-million dollar license system. And we were doing some really cool, fancy stuff with it, uh, you know, from from doing um, cancer research to 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 understanding, um, you know, finding the needle in petabytes of data, finding patterns in research data, finding patterns in medical research, and things like that. So that is how I got back to it. And then AI, as you, if you follow AI as a technology, it it came like that back, like a big system, like the big boys games, right? Like no small little company could implement AI to solve a small problem, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And then it was moving at such speed, it was becoming more and more mainstream. It was literally, you know, it was racing Moore's law, right? It was, it was more affordable. Computing was becoming more affordable. I mean, you could have a GPU run on your, you know, on your laptop if you wanted, right? So computing was becoming very accessible data that we were producing was was just everywhere data was every is everywhere and and all the algorithms the new algorithms the new techniques the new machine learning architectures were all coming out of research labs like google DeepMind and those labs all for free all open sourced um so ai was becoming mainstream and then it became as a tech now it is a technology which anybody can pretty much access right so it's pretty much mainstream now we actually apply it to solve even smaller problems, not just large, big problems. So I, uh, I got back onto that from IBM and then I sort of, you know, stayed on top um, and still am, I guess it's still, still one of my most passionate uh, technology areas. That, that's really, really, that's really very interesting. Uh, Dhiran, I just want to ask you in terms of, there are, you know, number of things related to emerging technologies. And now we hear a lot of different terms. We hear artificial intelligence, IOT, machine learning, NLP and you know and the list is long how do you think the world has embraced these technologies and evolved over a period of time yeah i think i think i, I touched that whole how the how the system how the technology itself you know went from the big areas to to more 
mainstream and all of mm-hmm. that. There are there's a couple of things happening with all these emerging powerful technologies. I mean, AI is is no small technology, right? It's a it's a it's a bit of a you know revolution technology revolution in itself. Um, but AI is used in not just to solve your the obvious business problems, you know, which is what we are all involved in, the commercial implementations of this. You know, are we solving a problem to have a commercial advantage? Right, that's the that's what we do most of our time. But there is also powerful usage of these systems. AI, I, you know, is is one of the technologies that has potential to take on some big societal challenges that we have. Um, we've always had, um, and it is being used there. So. It's also being used in to solve these big societal problems that has large community effect, that has large effect on humanity itself. Mm-hmm. There's one area of work that's happening there. Now, these technologies are embraced to do that. And the other areas are day-to-day thing, you know, from, hey, how can my, my bank transaction be processed better <laughs> to, to how can I solve, um, you know, poverty or, or, or um, climate issues that we have. So it's, it's, it's very holistic, right? That way, it's sort of got a bigger, it's got a huge spectrum on how it's being applied and embraced. Similarly, you know, IoT, they all, they all fall in the same thing. So it's so diverse. Um, and how do you think people are actually focusing on solving these problems in terms of knowing the capabilities of AI versus applying such technologies to solve these um, business issues per se? As in how, how they are solving, as in how Say they are- For example, I'm a technology expert. I don't know anything about IoT, but uh, how do I know that I'm going to solve my business problem if, without even consulting with others that IoT is the thing that I got to go and refer to and uh, get consultancy on. So how do, how do you kind of bridge that gap of uh, say, you know, if you want to unpack these into a business leader standpoint versus- uh, somebody who is so technologically savvy and how do you kind of combine those two uh, people together to provide the solution for the problem that uh, the, you know, the business or the individual is trying to solve? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question, actually. Uh, look, it definitely requires the business leaders to have some kind of, for them to also go through some kind of a learning phase mm. to understand what these technologies can and cannot do. Right. It's super important. Otherwise, what you hear, particularly about AI, is you, you hear very ambiguous sort of mixed messages about what AI can and cannot do. Same thing with IoT, same thing with uh, blockchains and technologies like that. It gets diluted with some kind of other happening in the market, like a cryptocurrency thing can just dilute. And then suddenly you wonder, oh, isn't that the bad technology that does bad stuff? Uh, how would it going to solve my my problem that I'm having with my call center or something? Right, so they're not able to connect that. But I think I think the management, the the business uh, folk also have to go through some kind of um, learning to understand these technologies. They don't have to be technologists, but they need to understand, you know, how can they strategically use these um, these technologies. So I think it's from both ways, and of course for technologists, you know, like like myself and you know y'all as well it is also our sort of you know the onus is on us also to to make it understandable to to the to the business and to the community and what this can and cannot do um, so i think it's both ways 
That's a good point. So would you have any suggestions for people to start as a business leader? You know, what comes to my mind is about um, ABCD. You know, you got to know artificial intelligence basics. You got to know blockchain basics. You got to know cloud basics. You got to know data basics. So I call it as ABCD. So where would people find some basic courses for them to equip so that they're not missing out some of the key decisions and investments that they're making? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, we, we, there's actually an overload of information. If you, if you, if very that's true. Honest, very right? true. It, there's not a lack of lack of information out there. The problem is there's so much you know where to start. And some time ago, you would it was hard to find good meaty, um, you know, blogs or articles or, or documentation of certain technologies. Today, there's so much of it that you don't know where to even start from. Um, so I, I think it's a tough it's a tough thing, right? It's about uh, you know, firstly, starting from where you are. So if you look at AI, I get this question asked, you know, all the time, where do I start? Okay, uh, I want to get into AI. But if you look, AI is, um, is a general purpose technology, right? It's, it's like, hey, I want to do something with electricity. Where do I start? Right? <laughs> it's almost, yeah. It is almost like that. But then what yeah. do you want to do with electricity? Do you want to make a television or you want to light a room? with illumination or you want to run a car with it, you know? So if you, if you sort of map that back to the AI world, I always ask, I always tell the, uh, tell my, you know, the people that I'm engaged with, there is so many areas. You could, you could become a researcher, right? All you could do all your life, if that's what you like doing is research in AI. There's so much to do in that space. You could write algorithms for a living, right? And that's all you'd enjoy doing. Perhaps you've got an algorithm background and you continue to do that in the, in the AI space. You could just be in that data space, right? Just the data, the data that feeds AI systems and the data that is used to, to teach these AI systems. You could just be in that data space because you come from a data background. Yeah. So your entry point would be in a, in a, from a data. And then if you go to the non-technical thing, somebody's got to write a strategy a business strategy on AI, right? How would you take this, you know, how do you have a cloud strategy? You, you have um, a finance transformation strategy. You have all these business strategies. So if you're a strategy person, you know, you could approach AI as a, how do I write an AI strategy or how do I develop an AI strategy for my company or for other companies that I'm helping? Or it could be, there are other areas that are like, you can become an auditor. You know, you maybe have an audit background. You know, how can I audit an AI system? How can I make sure that an AI system is transparent, making the right, it's compliant, it's making the right decisions, using the right data, it is not, you know, uh, it's not biased and all of that, all of the audit things can come from an audit thing. So there is so many different areas within the technology and my advice would be to, you know, see where you are. You could say, hey, I don't have any of this. I am a functional person, right? I I uh, let's let's take a really just a functional uh, functional job. Let's say in medicine, right? Um, I am an um, X-ray. I'm a radiologist, right? I don't know tech, I don't know IT, and I, but then you got this domain ex, experience with you. So no AI system is going to is going to work properly without domain expertise embedded into that. So who does domain expertise comes from? From the domain expert. So you could be a domain expert and engage in AI systems to train it this time, right? To, 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 to make sure it, you know, it doesn't go outside its, um, its boundaries from a domain perspective. So there's so many different ways you can approach it. And it's always good to start 
from where you are. What, what is your core area of work expertise? And then you go into, into how AI can sort of meet that. That's a very interesting answer, Dhiran, because a lot of time people think that if they have to build up their career into AI, they have to start from the scratch. They have to unlearn everything that they know. And that may not be true because as you said, depending on kind of job that you're looking for, what your area of interest is, and then you can look at how we can leverage AI or the other technologies and build your career on top of it. So that's really great insights. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. super awesome. I think uh, what we are also essentially alluding to is there are job opportunities uh, in terms of uh, who you are and knowing your strengths, even when technology is evolving, uh, as long as you are able to catch up with the technology with the strengths of what you have, you should be able to create your own job and make yourself, uh, you know, um, super efficiently uh, contributing to the uh, next set of uh, uh, challenges that you're going to face. So that's very, very encouraging. Uh, you know, with, with such passion for technology and all that, I, I, I'm tempted to move on to the next question, which, is, which must be close to your heart, which is uh, ICT professional of the year to 2019. That's a massive achievement in mm -hmm. itself. I'm sure that would not have been easy at all. So how did you feel when you were selected for this? What was the competition like? And tell us that story. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. It's one of my, uh, well, one of the major events in my life. Uh, perhaps it will be one of my major events even going Ooh. forward. I guess um, it's it was not an easy, easy sort of a journey, right? If you want to plot that as a journey, um, I honestly did not think. Honestly, I'm not just saying that. I'm, I honestly did not think I would actually win the award. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted when I when I when I was nominated for it. Uh, my my company at that time nominated me for that award, and and I had all these interviews with the with the panel, and as they asked me questions and as they understood what I was doing, as I was writing my profile and stuff, I knew I knew um, you know there's definitely more that they were they were looking for and you know what I've done and all of the good stuff. But what what I when I came to the finalists, I was announced as a finalist, right, the top four finalists. I thought that's it. This is this is the ultimate, right? Be, being the finalist in 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 Australian Computer Society's 2019, uh, you know, Professional of the Year is the is the biggest award within all of the awards, by the way. Right? Professional of the of the Year is the final one, right? It's the mm -hmm. last one they announce on the night. It's the biggest one. It's the it's the grand finale. And I said, wow, I'm going to be on the stage with the finalist. Full stop. That's it, right? That, there's there's nothing there's nothing uh, nothing more, and and when I saw my finalist, you know, there was another lady uh, who was the um, who's Australia's highest patent holder, highest patent holder. I think she's got 230 30 odd patents or something to her name. Right? Wow, <laughs> crazy! Uh, there's no one I know in my life who's, who's got so many patents, by the way. And I happened to work with her. Um, uh, very, very uh, surprisingly, I had a call with her just this morning. Just, just a casual call out of the blue. She called me, and that's really fresh in my head. Anyway, so I, she was a finalist. Um, someone I looked up to for many years was also my co-finalist. And then there was other person who had founded today is one of the most successful AI companies in, in the country. Uh, the founder of that was another finalist and so on. These were highly accomplished people, highly, highly accomplished people. Some of, some of them I was, I was admiring and following and getting inspiration from. So in the green room, just before your, your name gets announced, when your name doesn't get called out, that means you're, you're the winner, right? 
<laughs> so first they call out the first name. You could hear it, and then that person goes. And we were like four of us, and the first person goes. I'm like, oh my god! I thought, you know, well there you go. There's three of us, right? And then the second person goes, and there's two of us, <laughs> and then the third person goes. That's when you know you're the finalist. I I really don't. I had a, almost like a blackout. I think from the time that the, the third person went to me going on the stage and receiving. So I, I might I might sound quite dramatic here, but I really did not expect to win at all uh, because of of the people that I was with, um, and they are highly highly accomplished. So the award, if it did anything to me, it only humbled me. It only said, you know, that was the only experience I take from the award. I was I left that room totally humbled. Uh, I mean, overwhelmed, of course, but really humbled. And and um, yeah, that's the that's what I felt. If you if you wanted to know what the award feeling was, and um, it's it's no small thing, you know, especially especially for um, for someone to have come and adopted Australia as as my country and to understand mm-hmm. the new land and to establish yourself here, make new connections, make your new networks. It's almost starting again, right? It's almost starting again. Uh, and, and, and to go on to be the Australian Professional of the Year, I thought, I thought was um, was was very. Um, I, I I really felt you know uh, accomplished in in some ways, but it's one of the biggest things that could could happen to me. I guess perhaps. Do you have any tips or suggestions for people who want to you know apply for this in the coming years, or any key learnings that you had out of this? Yeah. Oh, look, absolutely. Australian Computer Society. I mean, as an IT professional, I think you have to be part of that organization. I, I mean, I, um, I, I, I now engage a lot with them. Um, there's a lot of activities that I try and help. I try and help where I can. I, I wish I could do more, uh, but I've got to know the organization a little more better. This is our industry body, right? And they're doing a lot of good stuff. So, firstly, to know what's happening there, and you once you get us, once you I don't know if you, you all are members of that of that association, but you'll see a lot of graduates, a lot of young, you know, I want to be an IT professional people there. And mm-hmm. and you see the passion, you see there's such large number of people wanting to make their life in, in IT. And then it's such a rewarding thing. I mean, it's your industry, right? And so, uh, so tips for someone, I mean, firstly, you've got to be aware of things like these are happening. There's all kinds of award nominations, right? Student of the year, uh, you know, teaching, teacher of the year, or you could have a product and then they, they also recognize that. So not just, not just ACS, there's, there's many such, you know, uh, uh, recognitions out there to keep a tab there to not only get motivated by what's happening there, but also to, to apply if you think you have a thing. And the, and the application process, the application process, it is, uh, you know, you, you honestly, authentically tell what you've done and, and it's, it is, it is up to, you know them to see if that resonates with uh, with what the the award uh, category is for and what it what it really means and and then you know going from there. Oh, that's excellent. In fact, um, I was actually thinking about uh, some of the um, uh, technologies that you have learned all through your uh, experiences, and what resonated me was the communication. And, you know, you got to have a very strong communication for you to basically um, implement something and then make a change in, in people's lives. Uh, which brings me to the next question about your TEDx. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think we're talking uh, 
a superstar question versus superstar question because we got so much to offer here <laughs> i was <laughs> how did um, the tedx happen you know i i remember you wanted yeah. to do something for the community right it's on the augmented intelligence that was a trend conversation by the way so would you want to expand that uh, more uh, so that people can get benefited yeah yeah look tedx um again a wonderful platform um, i quite enjoyed my whole tedx uh, participation um at that time i was doing a lot of talks primarily primarily talking about artificial intelligence in a very layman's term that was my whole uh, domain you know i said i really thought i really still think this is one of the most powerful technologies and if we were to solve some big societal problems like i keep saying th- this is the kind of technology you got to leverage right but you also have to know clearly what this can and cannot do and when the early days of ai was out in the market people had hollywood definitions of ai right you talk to anybody they'll say oh yes yes i know what ai is um, it's it's um, it's uh, it's a computer that can that can um, do autonomous decisions like human it can learn and then eventually it becomes better than you and it kills you like that was the whole definition of of ai right and then when if we had de- you know definitions like that in our head we are not going to uh, i thought there will not be adoption of this right there will not be you know the, the opportunity that this technology brings will be will be untapped so so i was doing a lot of these talks on what i had seen you know hands on on what this tech can and cannot do i also was talking about the 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 flaws of the technology at that time you know what it couldn't do how far it went and where it failed and where it broke so i started talking in universities i started talking in smaller meetup groups and you know i would just randomly say hey hey um you know somebody would mention ai and they say can you come on stage and just tell us what this thing is about we don't even know we know what it stands for and we don't even know after that. so i would i would actually go up and tell them hey this is what i do and this is what this is what we can do with this and i think this is a super Uh, you know cool tech and it can do some really good stuff and that's it that was the whole definition of ai that was going on so i was doing a lot of these talks and and i and i started you know sort of getting myself onto bigger stages if you like you know larger audiences and more diverse i was talking at a design event with designers and marketing experts and i was it's a large stage and i was sort of presenting there and i was presenting the thing but i was constantly making sure the community understood what this meant right because i also knew this technology was being used deployed already you know to understand to profile you to understand whether you should get a loan or not or to understand you know all of those things are going to happen anyway you, you got to be aware of it right you got to be aware your, your children have to be aware of what this technology can and cannot do and what it's doing to you already right so i was doing all these community talks as well and through that um came this opportunity to to actually present a subject the subject uh, at tedx which is mm-hmm. fantastic platform i mean uh and as for the talking and the presentation goes you're in the hands of the fabulous tedx team yeah. anybody they couldn't you know they are so professional at this you know they get the best out of you so i would give all of the credit if at all you know if the talk was clear and you understood the technology and you took away something you know a large portion of the credit goes to the tedx team that that brought that out of me so we spent we spent two weeks um, you know rehearsing our talks and rehearsing our points and every time every time i would say something complex the team would say you know if your mom was sitting there in that room 
would she understand what you just said? And I would go, no, uh, she wouldn't, which means nobody will understand, right? And then I would go and refine that and say, how can I, how can I talk about deep neural network in a way that <laughs> yeah. my mom would understand, you know, how, what analogies can I use? You know, should I use the way the brain processes and all of that thing, you know, just says, you're still not layman's, right? You're still not getting your message across. It is really challenging. And, and when I, the, the, I mean, when you finally put together that thing, the whole thing was the community should take away every piece of information that's given. And, and by the way, my mom was in the room and I think she took away most of it. Excellent, man. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, well, so that was the whole TEDx thing. And, you know, that's how I got into it. And the, the whole purpose behind TEDx was that, you know, to, to get that message out there uh, to, to the community. So in terms of the community work as well, so is there anything else that you do apart from um, uh, the one that you mentioned about educating the communities? Is there anything else that you would want to share here? Yeah, well, I'm, you know, I, um, I work with a council, you know, where I can. I wish I could do more. I, I honestly wish I could do more. But, you know, work and other priorities comes in, comes in my way. Um, I, I did a lot of initial work with schools and stuff, you know, promoting STEM and programming for children and start off in my son's school. I would go and ask the teachers, why wouldn't you, you know, teach computing and programming? Not because I'm a, pro I'm a computer guy and I wanted my son to be one or, or my kids to learn, but I said, that's the, you know, it's fundamental. It's like teaching math. It's like teaching, it's like learning chemistry and biology at school. You have to learn you know, um, computers. And, and so I would go and if I get a chance, I would go and do a little, little session at the school. So I started doing that in, in schools in the neighborhood uh, and then got myself involved with the council. Um, and that is how I started. But now I, I sit on, you know, the council's smartest city advisory committee. Um, I mean, my two cents, like I said, uh, I wish I could do more uh, mm -hmm. and I'd love to. Hopefully I, 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 I Hopefully, I have the capacity and the energy to do it. Excellent. Uh, in terms of your mentorship, uh, you know, you would have seen umpteen number of people coming in from the uh, professional world, um, and also people who want to have their um, uh, startup uh, journey uh, getting getting moving as well. So, what advice would you generally give them, and what do you think are the startups? Uh, ideas that you see booming after post-COVID? Yeah. Look, startups are a fantastic world. It's where I draw my energy from, right? I, I, I refuel myself at startups, startup, <laughs> at, start, at startup centers, at startup places. And I, I had some personal involvement as well. You know, I left, I, left big, I left a big organization. I went into the world of startups. I worked with two small, smallish startups, um, you know, went through that journey of, from startup to scale up myself with these companies. But when you go and talk to a startup founder or when you go to a startup place or an, or an, um, you know, uh, an innovation accelerator or whatever it is, you will see the energy that these founders bring, right? They've usually, most like, mostly they've put everything they have on the line, right? And they, they wake up in the morning, they jump out of bed to come and just do one thing is to make their startup work. And they carry a lot of energy, and, and it's contagious. If you if you with them, you will you cannot help but to 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 tap into that energy and to become that right and to mimic. Yeah. 
so that that is addictive it's very addictive. And, and and you know that's what that's what keeps drawing me back to startup although um you know i i have other things to do and my plate's usually full but i still go and try and help startups so i um I've, even now i'm involved in sort of coaching mentoring a few startups a few startups that i believe in and and concepts that i believe in luckily my current work my day job um involves dealing with startups involves uh, interacting with these startups so i'm super super happy about that aspect of my day job i mean all aspects of my day job but that in one particularly um, so we get to interact with the startups a lot startups to your other question madhu um startups post covid 19 i mean covid 19 the startups are going through some testing times right it's not even big organizations are going through testing times right yeah. startups particularly are, are are hit very very badly and uh, you know if if you keep a tab on this you'll know that they're just closing shop people are just that's it they were they were on the edge anyway and you know all it required was one single thing to move and they're off right so a lot of things have moved off late and a lot of startups have gone bust okay and and it's it's testing times but what if you if someone is in the startup world my advice to them even now is you know at this time stop and think you know firstly be brutally honest is your idea still relevant mm-hmm. will know, it's it's a very hard question it's it might sound simple they say yes it is relevant because i've been thinking about this i've been living this idea for the last 3 years every day of my life every moment of my life i've been living this idea it's still relevant then i ask them again are you sure that the problem you're trying to solve or you were trying to solve hasn't the problem changed since covid they don't know it because it's so deeply in it right and it's really you have to be brutally honest and say you know the uh, is that problem worth solving is that problem does that problem even exist in in today's climate or will it exist 2 years from now so number one thing is that right the the second big you know if i if i may just you know give a a, a tip or an advice is uh you know you would have heard of unicorns in the startup world yeah everybody wants to become a unicorn right well it's a nice it's a cool little terminology and you know you you achieve a certain uh valuation you become a unicorn right billion dollars you become a unicorn but and startups tend to build this unicorn unicorns are mythical creatures right you have you, you you haven't seen them no one's seen them but they're, they're mythical they're magical they live somewhere and suddenly you you become one right i would say you know don't build your startup to be a unicorn but to think like like a camel right if you look at a camel it's constructed itself in such a way that it can go for days and days without water in extreme temperature it can run as fast as it can run with water right <laughs> or with food so it's a very resilient animal right and when it finds water it will load itself up right uh, and if it doesn't find water it's like guess what i'm going to keep running right so Uh, what we need is are, are more camels and not unicorns right <laughs> in in terms of, if, I, if i may put an animal to it so that's the kind of startups you want to build a startup that can continuously chug along in bad times a startup that can adapt itself into extreme conditions and we're going to see a lot of these extreme conditions financial spending and financial purses have been tightened right there's no invest investment has has is become very very thin now very careful not thing right people are very cautious in where the money goes so there was a time even a year ago like 2019 you would have heard oh somebody just raised 2 million somebody raised 10 million somebody raised 20 million 
somebody's got third round of, of funding. Now you don't hear that, right? You don't hear that because it's all, people don't know. It's uncertain times, so people are constrained financially. So in such an environment, you want to build startups that are resilient, startups that are you know, super adaptive. It can just change and morph itself and run, right? I'm glad that I asked this question and, and I love the analogy. Yeah. Okay. I think this could be the tagline for our show now. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Awesome. Diran, listening to you today, looks like uh, you had an intuition about the dot-com boom, graphic design, artificial intelligence, and you ended up making your career in this particular areas. What is your advice for the next generation? I think I'll just uh, continue from my previous uh, startup thing, right? I mean, the only advice now is the old mantra was, you know, build your career or build your product to last, right? That's what my parents taught us. That's what my teachers taught me. That was my early mentors taught me. Build something to last, right? But I think now it is, you build something to, to adapt. Uh, you know, you, Beautiful. You, yeah. you don't want something to be so strongly built that it is so rigid that it can't move and morph and change, right? You want something to, uh, to adapt, to, to change along with, you must have heard that, um, there's a story that's bringing rounds in the internet around this this bridge. You know, have you heard of that? So no, like, go, no, for no. go for it. Go for it. Shall we take a shall we take a bridge? Can I go? Can you go yeah. it? Yeah. Of course. Go okay. for it. Okay. So it's a fantastic thing, and it really. I when I read that, I actually stopped and I I reflected on it, and I took some time to really say, "Wow, that's so profound." So this bridge uh, called the Chaloteka Bridge, it's in Honduras, right? They that particular they wanted to build a bridge over a river. But that area is, is, is uh, prone to extreme weather conditions, cyclones, typhoons, all the time, all throughout the year. So, so they said, if we were to build a bridge, and the build, building the bridge was of real need, economically, people-wise, everything. They had to build bridge between the, over that river. So they said, if we were to build this bridge, it has to be a super strong bridge, right? Because of the environmental conditions. So they, they, they got this um, state-of-the-art Japanese architecture company and they brought the best minds, the world's best mind to build a bridge that was never ever built before architecturally, right? It was an, it was an architectural wonder. It was, mm -hmm. a, it was a marvel, right? And they built the bridge. They built it in time. They, built, they spent a few billions and the bridge just stood. And guess what? The typhoon happened. The cyclones happened. And there was a massive cyclone that happened and it just washed away cities, right? It washed away cities. And the bridge just stood still. It didn't, it didn't change. But what the typhoon did is it washed away the roads that led to the bridge and the low roads that came off the bridge. Oh, okay. Right? The bridge stood its time. And the typhoon also changed the course of the river. Okay. So the river didn't even go under the bridge anymore. It changed course. It's going <laughs> somewhere else, right? So the bridge stood there, a wonderful construction, genius, a marvel, but it starts from nowhere and goes to nowhere now, right? So, you know, you don't want to be building careers and you don't want to be building uh, products and all of that, that goes, that's built to last, you know, you want to build something that, that can adapt, can, can change and can, you know, take a new course. And you're, you're going to have a lot of these cyclones and typhoons in, you know, in our market, as we all know. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's probably my one, one big advice. <laughs> Massive. That's Excellent story, man. You're a good storyteller for sure. <laughs> audience, audience, I'm sure they're going to love it. What, what you're saying. Uh, how do you think people can reach out to you, man? Oh, well, I'm, um, I'm accessible on LinkedIn, the usual channels. 
Um, LinkedIn, Twitter, LinkedIn is probably the best way to, you know, say hello to me and reach out. Beautiful. Thank you so much for your time today. And thanks, Avi. Great, great to be on the, on the show. Great to have you on the show. Thanks, Siren. Thanks for tuning in, my friends. We have got thousands of people listening to this podcast and wanted to thank you all for the love and encouragement so far. Some of you have reached out personally to us and thanked as well for producing great quality content. It would be awesome if you like and follow our LinkedIn page, Inspiring Ideas. And please don't forget to hit the subscribe button from where you are listening. We are across all the key podcast channels, Apple, Google, Spotify, etc. We will see you with another great episode next week. Thank you so much.